this time. Okay, just an overlay. Cool. Jamie, great to chat with you. So before we go too deep, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I'm Jamie. I'm a DevRel at GraphBase, and I create educational content on GraphQL, and I've been around a while in the tech scene. Um, been a developer for a long time, uh, and then made the move into developer relations maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, so I've been around a while. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I've known you for a very long time as well through your online content and, you know, I'll put a link to the description below, but I think last year you and I had a recording where we talked about GraphQL and what it is and what makes it really exciting. So we may touch upon that a little bit later, but before we get too far into like the GraphQL and technical pieces of it, I just kind of want to learn more about just how do you get started in tech? Well, I got started um, in, oh, I think I was around 11, 10 or 11 years old when I first got my PC. My grandfather bought me it. And um, from that day, I was fascinated with the web. I didn't even have the internet at home back then. My 56K modem was in my machine, but I, uh, I didn't have the internet. And I kind of managed to persuade my mom at the time to go out and buy um a CD with um, uh, an ISP installation thing on that we would then install the drivers. And I just got kind of hooked on that whole aspect of installing things, configuring things, playing around with things. And when I did get the internet, I was just hooked. I um, created my first website um, on my machine. I think it was with front page. Um, and I used something called Netscape web builder or something i think it was and and it was part of kind of the netscape navigator stuff and i just got really hooked um i can talk about this forever but i just got hooked at that point um and yeah i, I just fell in love i mean we should absolutely talk about that forever i think you might be referring yeah. to netscape composer probably yes my, my my memory doesn't go back so well but uh, <laughs> i i remember i remember they had this tool where you could log in um I think you could log in. I can't remember. I think it was maybe attached to your ISP login um, because back then, you know, this was logging in. Authentication was all very new. But I was creating websites for the school, my school at the time. And my friends were like, oh, that's cool. Can I have one? So I ended up building websites for friends. Um, and I'm, I, I don't do as much now, but I was very into uh, magic tricks, card magic. So I put together a website called Jamie's Magic. I think it was jamiesmagic3.cjb.net, one of my first sites. And this cjb.net thing was just something you could um, get a subdomain for that pointed to an FTP. Um, and, that, and I would use FTP from my ISP to host my website. And I was doing this for kind of friends in school. And I just kind of, I just love playing with this stuff and figuring this stuff out. Um, you know, and this was back when, you had to kind of create borders, border radiuses with, with images. That's right. Those spacer GIFs and those like little yeah. PNGs with their corner radius that they had like big. So essentially what would normally be a, a typical border would actually be a table with like a three by three, you know, actually three yeah. columns at the top. Yes, yeah, so a nine cells basically would be what yeah. would make a, a typical was... corner. <laughs> yeah, it makes me laugh. It's funny. No, but that's, that's what we have to do. Pretty much how that's how I got started in many ways as well. It was the free editors that came with the browser. It was Netscape Composer for me, then FrontPage Express, because at that yes, time, IE4 yeah. was getting really popular. And people were like really big on it. And then my parents got me a copy of FrontPage 98 because 
what you couldn't do with front page express or composer back then is you couldn't do iframes and mm. i had no idea that all you had to do is go into html type in the iframe and then the editor would just show you to you what needs to be done i was yeah. like where's the insert iframe button and and yeah. kudos to microsoft marketing back then they actually said oh, <laughs> you can actually edit iframes and yeah. the funny thing is because i've been maintaining my blog since that time you know, 1998 onwards i still use ftp even today and i use the front page include wow. page component to do the server side includes equivalent my media temple web host at the time was like you know you're the only person right now who's using this we they deprecated the server extensions on on unix <laughs> machines quite a while ago can you please do something slightly differently and yeah. then i did a massive bulk replace of that with apache server side includes which is what I still use today. And so I use Dreamweaver because front page has been discontinued, Expression Web, which is a replacement for it, discontinued. And so Dreamweaver is the only one that has survived up until now. And so yeah. for me, it's a, the closest to what you see where you get experience. But it's, so for me, when you describe it, I'm like, you know, that might've been what was done like decades ago. Unfortunately, yeah. it's what I deal with even today because of just cool. the legacy and all of that. Yeah. That's really cool. And to be honest, I didn't even realize Dreamweaver was still going. So that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just awesome. dreading the day when they say Dreamweaver is also discontinued. And I really yeah. have to figure out a more modern solution to this. It might, it might be WordPress. I'm not sure. Some CMS yeah. kind of a solution. But it'll definitely be a massive copy-paste bulk replace of like so many thousands of pages from like 20, 30 years, which unfortunately aren't all consistent. So I can't just do a one-off find replace because... There's some redesigns on the way. Some were like abandoned, but then brought back again and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm yeah. just hoping the time doesn't happen anytime soon. Yeah. It, I, so I start, when I started out, I, I got into kind of flash um, and I, I picked up flash and obviously your website was a huge, um, uh, you know, resource back in the day for, for flash stuff. And I loved visiting just to kind of learn stuff. And then I kind of picked up, I guess from what you and a few others in the community were doing around kind of just sharing educational content. That's probably a big reason why I do what I do now with uh, creating my own content. Um, but I, I, I use flash, but I, I got drawn into the swish and the swish max community. Um, and that was, that was huge. And I still remember now there was forums for swish tutorials, swish talk. I think it was renamed as um, there was this, the official swish max one. Um, I had a, somebody online that I used to follow called Rob Wells. And he was just awesome at uh, creating flash stuff. And uh, we would spend just hours playing around with kind of keyframe animations in, in swish. And then I was forever kind of just dipping in and out of flash to kind of pick up a little bit more of the action script side of things. Um, and then I was trying to relay that back to swish because I was familiar with that. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, as much as the web's moved on, those days were really fun. Like, I don't care what anyone says, that, that was an awesome time to be alive. Oh, I agree with you. You know, in many ways, I, don't, I never felt the web has moved on since then. It went backwards <laughs> so far. Yeah. And people have forgotten how nice it was back then to have a, a visual tool where you can do the visual things visually, add some code to add interactivity that you needed to. But you went from like an idea to a design, to something that works in your browser, very quickly, whereas I think yeah. today it's going to be a which framework do I choose? What's the build tool setup that I need? Just to get Hello World up and running. Yeah. You know, we always yeah. say that 
the thing that made the web better than traditional languages like C++ and Java and so on is that you get Hello World up and running in the fastest time to yeah. launch your editor, you're ready to go. I think we lost a lot of that. And unfortunately, you and I and probably a few hundred other people are still relevant that are doing this work <laughs> or like can remember what the time was. Yeah. I think everyone today is more like, yeah, the norm is I spend a few hours with my build tool set up and I figure That's out what crazy. my web host is. And then, you know, they look at like other IDEs and be like, yeah, no, I'm just going to write code for everything. I want to do align yeah. visual things by writing code. I'm like, that sounds so backward, you know, but yeah. hopefully the rise of Webflow and Framer and some of these low code tools that a lot of people are using right now are definitely getting a little bit of that magic back where people yeah. who are not technical don't have to be. And of course, we've seen so many things that recently about AI tools where people with limited coding yeah. experience, no coding experience can create Snake, can create like these very elaborate applications that even seasoned developers would have difficulty figuring out how exactly to do these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 it would take me a while to get started kind of creating something from scratch again. Um, I think these days it's very easy for developers to kind of reach out to a component library or a CSS library. And I know there's so many kind of micro arguments in there around which should I use and which shouldn't I use and why. Um, but I, like, I agree with you, like way back then there was just a, there was a simple way to do things and FTP for good or bad, it was just a way that you could take your files, drop them somewhere and it just worked. Um, I understand and appreciate all of the benefits now of all the, CICD processes we have, things are a little bit more complicated. So we do need to check that, oh, if I just override this index.php file, it's not going to break. Like that is super important in today's world, but it was so much easier back then, like you say, to just get hello world. Um, and, you know, over the last few years, I've spent a huge amount of time in the content management system space. And I've been someone that just enjoys writing code from scratch. I will look at an example online and it may give me the tutorial and I've always just written that out again. I haven't copy and pasted and it, it kind of makes me a little bit slow, you could say. Um, but it's just a good way to kind of learn and memorize some of the semantics of, of stuff. Um, so I've just enjoyed doing that and having worked in the CMS space for the last few years, I've been telling people, Oh, everything's composable and you need to bring things in and, um, and use this service for that and another service for this. And that is awesome at a really large scale, but quite often a lot of people who are just getting started, that is very, very overwhelming. Um, so I agree things like uh, OpenAI and you know just gen generically a lot of the AI tools is going to make the onboarding or uh, intro to development or whatever uh, easier, I hope, um, because it, it, it's mind blowing that you can create games and you can create, you can just create stuff with AI now. And it's kind of just another tool for developers. Um, you know, instead of being afraid of it, if you embrace it and use it in the correct way, I think people can do some remarkable things with it. So I'm really excited about the future of, uh, of AI in general. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be an interest. It's going to be an interesting time. I think um, it's only now beginning to pick up momentum. People are understanding what it can do. Um, and, you know, and with some of the recent updates, it can do a lot more and you can, you can feed it your own kind of stuff. So it can be, everything's contextualized, which is going to be even more powerful. So this is only going to get better. Yes. And by the time we finish a recording and get it live, probably a whole new set of things that have come out, you know, yeah. since then that completely like, you know, moves the needle even further. 
in terms of what is yeah. capable there. So you went from using and you know like being in the Flash community for quite some time to creating content. So tell me more about that. Like, what motivated you to? What was your first like content you remember writing? What? How did you market it? What were all the steps that took you from I have an idea that I want to share with others to teach them to actually getting it out the door? Yeah, a lot of things. So um, I remember creating my own website, and then I wanted to teach someone else how to do that. So I had my own. Uh, I, I created my own forum back then, and back then it was using Envision Powerboard. And I was always an Envision fan. I was never the VB guy, uh, the V bulletin for anyone watching this. Um, I know PHP BB either. I I enjoyed that. That was like a little dirty secret I had. It was like I enjoyed playing with that, but I I didn't go into production with it. Um, it it I, I loved it, and I I started out with PHP and did PHP for a very long time, but I preferred just the look of Envision, and I, I I still speak to on Twitter today, uh, Matt Metcham, the creator of that, um, on 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 Twitter, and he writes a lot of stuff around communities now, and it's amazing to see that Envision Powerboard is still going, and they diversified into so many different things. But I started out installing that and creating mod of, kind of creating mods for it, or at least themes to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just kind of posting, oh, I made this theme and this is how I made my theme. And I, I just kind of created a forum where I would invite others and the people that I'd met online. Um, I, we all kind of had forums that we hung out on and we were just kind of sharing links to that. And it kind of from there, I was just posting it in kind of the tutorial section on my forum. Like this is how to create a, a button in Flash. This is how to change the background on Hover. Th- you know, simple things like we take for granted today. Um, but, you know, back then this was all very new and everyone was experimenting on um, ways to do things. So that's that's how I got started. And then from there, people were then asking, um, not just me, but, you know, in general on the internet, how do I create my own forum? So then I ended up having uh, my very first web hosting company, which was Spot Web Solutions. And that was something I created I think I was around 14, 15 years old. Um, and I was hosting websites for people. And I was lucky enough at the time, uh, maybe it was a few years later, actually, that my school gave grants for people starting their own businesses. So we had to pitch to the, the to the school. This is the idea. This is what we wanted to do. And there was a few of us kind of interested in this. Um, so we ended up getting funding. It wasn't a huge amount. It was like $200. Um, and we would use that money to then buy a server, a, de- a dedicated server, and then we would uh, sell that hosting. We'd split it up, and I think it was like five pound per month or ten dollars, you know, whatever it was back then, for fifty meg of space, fifty megabytes of space, which is right. which was which was cool to remember. But uh, yeah, it kind of started from that, and then I I enjoyed the f- like forums so much. Like I spent most of my, like it, 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 you know, I spent most of my teens, I think, working and building stuff for forums and running my own communities, being moderators in other communities, and just kind of creating and sharing as much content as I sh- as I could, um, to the point where I met someone called Ali, um, who ran a, a Swish forum, and he had actually created the the kind of one of the initial versions of his own forum software. 
And I thought this was a great opportunity to learn PHP a lot more than what I'd been what I'd been doing at the time. So we uh, built, rebuilt the it was called Lightboards back then, and we rebuilt it from scratch, and it used hex files as the database. So everything was chmod seven seven seven, and you could do whatever you wanted. And the PHP server, you know, read from those text files and then. Uh, you know, wrote them as well um, for any changes, which was, which was really cool. Uh, you know, nobody was really doing it, and it was a bit risky, but it was actually, it was actually okay. It was super fast. It was really fast. Um, you know, faster. Work? Uh, I can't remember. I I really can't remember. I think we just, I think we had folders for like different content types and their IDs, but we also appended to a giant document all of the data. So I think that's what we did. I can't remember, but we did have a search feature, but I, I can't remember the specifics now. No, that's really impressive because one of the pains of dealing with most of the forums back then was that it was in usually MySQL. And then you mm -hmm. had to figure out like, how do you back it up regularly? What if data gets corrupted, which happened all the time. And people might upload like large attachments, somebody glitch somewhere and you're like, great. I have no idea what I'm gonna do now. Let me restore my backup and lose some data. The text file solution is very elegant. Yeah. Yeah, we thought so too. Um it like I say, it was so, so fast. Um and that was because the PHP file just lived next to the 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 text file. And back then, you know, latency and people weren't really too concerned about this at that time. Um, you know, people had fifty six K modems, so it's not like everything was blazing fast. Like no one really knew if something took one second or two seconds. <laughs> Those are fun times. Yeah. So what was the first article you wrote? Uh, I think, so the, I think way back when I first, when I first started, it was definitely around the flash, like creating flash buttons and, um, you know, create, I think it was creating a form that would then, I, I can't remember exactly, but it it was, it was, I remember figuring this out and it was the six weeks holidays here in the UK and we had six weeks off school and I remember fit building, rebuilding my website and we had a form and that form, I can't remember where it went, where the data went when you submitted it. It may have went into a text file. I, I really can't remember. Um, but I remember figuring that out and then wanting to share that with others. It was a form that was inside a flash that you would fill out all these text boxes and you know all the state kind of lived in flash and then when you submitted that it would then you know do an animation and it would then show you the results in there and then it would post the results somewhere and i th i think i posted it to a php endpoint back then i i can't remember i think it was a php endpoint but i remember just writing about this and it'll be on the way back machine somewhere on my forum um but that's kind of where i spent a bunch of my time was just kind of sharing stuff on there. Um, and then I think, I think fast forward a few years into kind of my recent time in DevRel, I was working as a software engineer and had recently um, discovered GraphQL and React. And I think one of the first, I, I think I use Next, like Next.js as a JavaScript framework for React. Um, a React framework rather in JavaScript. And I remember 
using that and creating a video on YouTube. And it was super awkward because I think I mispronounced uh, Zeit or I think I said Zeit at the time. Um, it was a word that I wasn't familiar with. And I just created a video talking about it. And I think that video ended up getting, you know, 36,000 views. Um, it was the very early days of Next. I don't think it even hit 1.0 at this point. And I was just playing around with it and decided to create a video. And that's kind of, from that, I got a lot of good and like a lot of good and constructive um, feedback that I wanted to just improve. Um, and it was kind of from there, I started to create more content. So yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. So what made you shift full-time into going into content creation and developer relations and the various jumps from there? Yeah, I, I had been working as a software engineer. Um, I kind of been freelancing pretty much, I think since 15, 16 years old, I was creating projects on the side and I was doing freelance work to kind of just get extra money. And I remember where I joined Apple as a genius and I was working on the genius bar and I was repairing Macs as kind of my full-time job. And I was spending every moment I could outside of work uh, and on breaks and lunches and, and holidays, learning more about Ruby on Rails. And I kind of moved and progressed into Ruby on Rails ecosystem. And I got my first uh, big client job using Ruby on Rails. And then from that, I um, went and worked full-time for about five years as a Ruby on Rails developer. And, did a, and then from there, I moved more into the front-end stuff. And at that time, like I say, this was even before like Next.js was a thing. The web was just kind of, you know, I think Dig 2.0 had just been released um, and, and, and times are kind of changing on the web. And APIs were kind of just beginning to become a trend. People were using these APIs to power their front ends. And, and now people were kind of decoupling their services. And then it was at that point where, I thought, okay, there's a huge disconnect now because you know everything we spoke about when we first started chatting today, we talked about how easy it was. And then now it's become more difficult because people have to think, okay, how do I connect this with that? And what shall I use for this and that? And it just got, I think, confusing. So I got an opportunity to join a, an e-commerce API and I turned them down like maybe two years before I did actually end up joining. And when I did join, I was kind of going in as this full stack developer slash customer success slash developer success slash whatever else, right? Like I was just wanted to work with them. And, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of interested in the, the React and front end stuff. So, you know, long story short, um, I joined them and their documentation and content wasn't at the level of like Stripe. And and I was hugely fond of the Stripe experience from a developer point of view. And I knew it then if we were gonna succeed in a startup that we needed to create content that resonated with developers. And what we had at the time just wasn't, like people were signing up and falling out of the funnel and weren't getting any further because it was just difficult. Nothing made sense. Everything was just, you know, there's too much jargon. Um, and yeah, I kind of just from that point said, you know what, 
I'm going to spend a lot of time in the documentation and content here to try and make this a lot better. And then we actually seen some really good results of that. Like we improved and actually, I think I actually rebuilt the documentation on the first few weeks of joining the company and, and, and wrote everything from scratch and provided illustrations and then created code examples. And people were getting, beginning to appreciate the new documentation and how easy it was to pick up this framework uh, or this API at the time. It, it then so happened we deprecated the library that had just been redocumenting and released a version two. And a lot of this documentation was then automated. And a lot of that automated documentation from the code, um, it kind of went back to how it was before. So kind of lost that personal touch. So I ended up having to redo that again. Um, and we seen some really good results. And it was kind of from that moment, I knew there was something in the like the developer success documentation, content creation that I really enjoyed. And I think, you know, you'll know this yourself back when, you know, creating content all those years ago in 1998 and before to now, it, it stays with you. It's something that you enjoy doing and helping others and sharing that with others. And that that's just something that clicked again. I'd been a software engineer for a few years and I, I somewhat enjoyed writing and, and showing others how to do things more than I did writing code. Um like full time. So that's kind of sorry, that's a, I just kind of waffled on for too long about that. But that is kind of my story then why I ended up in where I'm at. Yeah, no waffling. Oh, that's actually a great answer. Because, <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about developer relations is that I'm a product manager, my, my, my full time job, and the number of people I speak to the most on my one on ones on my calendars are people in developer relations, because when it comes time to like, you're building a developer facing product, which is, a, you know, which is what I work on Firebase and that area, which means that the people who know the most about what, what developers want, need, and might want in the next couple of years are developer relations individuals. And so mm -hmm. I always found them to be like the, the best resource to use outside of you actually talking to customers yourself. But even if you did talk to customers yourself, are you talking to the right person? Is this the, are you asking the right questions? Are you subject matter expert enough to be able to carry on and you know, see between the answers they're giving, developer relations always has that one completely figured out. And so I was always, yeah. you know, very interested to learn more about how you got into it because I've been following your content for quite some time and I greatly enjoyed. So it's a great answer there. Thanks. Yeah. And developer relations is, it's a huge topic and the things that DevRels do, you know, that list is so long and so varied and it's, you know, there's so many pieces to it that keeps everyone fresh and there's always something new to do and it's not the same thing every day. Um, but I think, you know, developer, people who succeed in developer relations really understand their product, understand how to deliver that product to new users and how to kind of, um, you know, help people along a journey and they enjoy helping people along the journey. Um, you know, it was 11 p.m. last night, and I'm not advocating that people work crazy hours. It's just for me, that's how my schedule works these days. But it was like 11 p.m., and someone was in Discord asking a question, and I thought, well, I know the answer. I'm just going to help this person. And it's that kind of thing that I see from a lot of people in the develop developer relations community that are, you know, doing amazing things. Is because they spend the time to help people, um, and I and I think. As much as that is not scalable in some new startups, 
that is a great way to kind of build relationships with people. And people have taken that time with me in the past when I've been learning new APIs and frameworks. And that stays with me forever that, that it doesn't matter what that person does. If they move from one company to another, I respect that person enough to appreciate what they have to say when they say something. And I, I, I really enjoy it. And I really respect anyone who works in DevRel because it's a, it's a tough job. There's kind of the advocacy side where I, you know, the, there's a few people I speak to occasionally that are traveling all of the time and they're speaking at conferences or they're at booths. And I've done this before standing at booths all day on end is a very tiring thing. And having the same conversation on repeat is very tiring, but the, you can get so much out of that um, that you can't get just kind of sat at a desk watching or reading reports and videos like that one-to-one -one interaction is amazing. Um, you know, and then the kind of relation side of it, you touched on it before actually speaking to people and understanding their challenges, feeding that back to product in a way that you can really make a difference for not just you and that specific user, but, you know, users that are yet to discover you. I think that is a huge part of the, of the role as well. Um, and then there's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes you hear that developer relations, the team members there are like customer zero for any product that's being built because they are both early adopters of whatever technology your team or company is building. And they can provide yeah. feedback that channels, as you, like you mentioned, what the broader community would want as the right set of developer ergonomics, for lack of a better yeah. word, based on competitive, what competitors are doing, based on what the trends are in the market. You know, do you use Tailwind, you talk about yeah. CSS libraries and like what, you know, <laughs> some like, you know, quirks and like what you choose and so on, things like that. And I think that voice of like reason between balancing technical needs and the customer needs and even the business needs oftentimes is a very unique skill that you have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, every day is different and it's, it's fun because of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is a common misconception about developer relations that the industry has? I think a lot of the time, so I remember uh, when I first be became or moved into the DevRel space, and I think the role was Dev Success. No one really understood what Dev Success or Dev Relations did, and I think you know six seven years ago, I didn't. But I think today there's still maybe some misconception. I think it's a lot better today because people appreciate the the results and the work that DevRels do. Um, but I remember way back when, you know, no one really knew what they did. They thought they just kind of tweeted all day and, you know, and created stuff on, on Twitter and posted blogs. And I think, you know, that's certainly a huge part of the role. And I think, you know, there's many different under the kind of dev relations umbrella. There is a lot of different avenues that you can work in, right? Like the advocacy side is more about kind of sharing and, and, and speaking and, you know, presenting your product and, you know, and in, in, in not just at conferences, but through video content and, uh, you know, workshops and, and whatever. That stuff, I think a lot of businesses don't understand the actual value that that brings. They just see it as, oh, they're an influencer or whatever. I think if somebody is in DevRel and they are technical, they can make that content very, very helpful um, for, you know, them converting users and signing up for your product at the end of the day. Like that's what it comes down to. 
We want people to pay for our stuff. And the easier that people find your product, the more likely they are to pay for it, right? Like uh, it's as simple as that. And I think a lot the biggest misconception is people just sit and tweet all day or all scroll Twitter and, you know, have, you know, you know, you know, raging about which framework you should use, like you mentioned with Tailwind. That's something that's every every week right now. But I think that's a misconception. Um, but also, on the, on the flip side, I think what isn't is the actual results of everything that Dev, DevRels do. Um, yes, you can go and meet people and talk to people, but I guarantee that and I don't mean this in a negative way, but there's a lot of engineers who will put their hand up. And um, I have friends who have been like this. They'll put their hand up and say, I'm an engineer. I don't really like speaking to people. Um, and I think that's something that is great for a DevRel, like being able to speak to somebody uh, and have a technical understanding and experience is just, a, is just really, uh, a, you know, someone that if you've got someone on your team that can do that, you know, it's it's massively underappreciated. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that that's you it. Really, always look backwards, right? In, in terms yeah. of like what are organizations and companies and developer frameworks ultimately doing is you're building something that's going to be targeted at developers and helping them be successful. Everything else that we do organizationally, all the layers of management and bureaucracy, is really around that endpoint of like is someone who is window shopping, let's say, for a particular solution for their technical problem, are they able to find us? And when they do find us, are they able to say that this is going to meet my needs and then have the right resources to either hire someone to solve the problem for them, or if they're, you know, what we typically call like a, an independent or a bottoms up kind of a developer, be the one who basically pulls up their chair, it's documentation, yeah. and does it themselves. What is the journey? You know, how friction free can we make it for them? And yeah. I work with developer relations, you know, across mostly large companies, but the approach to these products often use has been very different. You know, one company I worked for was very B2B focused. The decision on what solution to use was made by a CTO or a sales team years ago. It was a massive contract. And then developer relations was really, okay, you've already made the decision to use the product. Now let's talk about how you can make it work. Very yeah. different dynamic, very different tone and style of approach in another, compared to another solution where it's easy to switch from what you're building right now to another product from someone else. Everyone recognizes that. And so the approachability and tone again is very different. These are all like art art forms that I've seen in like yeah. how the conversation goes and things. So watching these things firsthand was a huge learning experience. And just the, the range of developer relations and the style that you have to follow depending on the type of business they're currently in. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of developer, people who work in developer relations that have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and are creating amazing content. And then there are other developers who are a bit quieter on Twitter. They don't have, you know, they don't, they don't have as many spicy takes, but they're actually, they're working on a lot of the, the, the work you see behind the scenes. So that could be documentation and workshops and, you know, uh, presenting demos to customers and sales demos and things like that. That's kind of another piece that a lot of DevRels have kind of, been asked to get involved with because certainly over the last few months we've seen huge layoffs i think there's even more pressure on uh, i think everyone now to get involved with wherever you can and i've always been someone to just kind of you know muck in and get involved and do what i can to help and i know a lot of others that work in devrel 
do that as well. Um, you know, so it's not just about having all of these followers and, you know, being popular on Twitter and having all these spicy takes, but there's a lot of other work that people do not see. And, you know, a lot of time and hard work preparation and making sure that what you're doing is a good bet or not. Um, you know, there's so much, there's so much that we get involved with. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of Twitter, speaking of social media, how important is it to have a, a strong social presence to be effective as a developer relations individual? I, I don't think it is that important. I think there's, there's two, there's two things to this. I think the first is selfishly for you as a, as, as you as a person in DevRel, having a good Twitter following and having something that is your own that you can share with others helps you massively in the space, like become recognized and, you know, that can lead to potential um, opportunities, whether it's new jobs, projects, or, or, you know, partners and starting a new business or whatever. Um, and on the, on, the, on the other side, the second point is it's, if you understand something that is often all it takes, there's a lot of people that I know who don't have thousands of followers and I don't have a huge following compared to some of the other dev people who work in DevRel, but having a good solid technical understanding and you're able to kind of speak to developers and help them, you know, unblock them building with stuff that is really, really powerful. So that's important as well. No, that makes a makes a lot of sense. And the reason I always ask is that it's a common question I ask anybody who's in tech these days is like, yeah. what is the value of a Twitter follower? What's the value of a of someone who's following yeah. you, like you know, on your Facebook page and so on? Because I've taken the very opposite approach over the years. You know, I'm very much a I'm not a, I'm not an anti Twitter person. I just don't get it. And the amount of time mm. it takes to do it properly. It's a, it's a full-time effort. You know, it's not a case. People think yeah. that all these great developer relations and all these posts get accidentally get popular. It's like, no, it's actually done very deliberately where the content was properly curated for the audience yeah. and the time and the, the format of it was optimized. It's a, it's a really, it's a skill and a skill yeah. that I do not have. And the approach I've taken over the years is really that Google search indexes my content. I will just create content on problems that usually that I'm currently facing as I'm like, you know, hacking away at something really cool yeah. and, you know, and not. And then I write about it. And a year or two later, enough people are like, oh, I'm doing this now. I ran into this <laughs> and it just happens to yeah. be found. And that to me has been one that is always an interesting one because we talk about developer relations and like how some people, you know, you don't really hear about it much, but they're still valued, very influential. One of the more interesting developer relations people that I have known over the years has no social media account, yet is one of the more popular presenters at conferences where they always end up like selling out often. I'm not selling out, yeah. but at least the, the rooms are at capacity oftentimes. Yeah. And it's always fascinating and it's always fascinating because it also speaks to the audience for them. It's not really you don't discover this individual through Twitter or social media. Yeah. It's a traditional B2B kind of a system where if you're in the know of like these kind of products, then you know who this person is. And I'm like, that's another interesting way of thinking about how to position yourself. It's like, it's, it's very crowded yeah. here. What is the niche that you can find that you can kind of set yourself apart in? But I do agree with them. Building your own brand, I think is the right word in many ways because yeah. it's a competitive space. And as we've seen, 
you know, we're, you know, tomorrow we'd both be replaced by another version of an AI avatar that's doing exactly the same <laughs> thing as us using our previous yeah. content as trading material. And, you know, and no one outside of basically you and I would know that it's yeah. not us doing this. And so having yeah. a certain reputation that can't be easily replicated or is tied to any one company or brand or industry because the world evolves. Yeah. Yeah. No, you make some really good points there. Really good points. Um, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's just really fascinating. Um, <laughs> it's really fascinating. It just the, the, the whole, the way we've moved on in DevRel and yeah, that's a really good point you make about, it doesn't matter if you don't have a social, a large social following, um, you can just be as impactful and powerful and not having that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people who want to get into the industry and my advice to people getting into DevRel is just be a developer for a lot, a while um, and appreciate the problems that developers have because that makes the job so much easier. So, you know, if you can, if you can become a developer um, or can get a, you know, a job as a front end developer or back end developer, junior developer, whatever it be, spend some time just kind of being faced with problems day to day and appreciate the levels and the quality differences of solutions and tools you're using, that makes things a little bit easier when it, when you do actually come into DevRel because yes, you've got the advocacy side and being someone that is influential and um, you know can help others and speak to people nicely is great. But if you don't understand the problems that people have, it makes things a lot harder because you can't have a conversation with your product team. Oh, we should be doing this. And you know, why? Like you can't answer the why. And I think it helps just kind of having some context. Um, even if you've never faced the problems that your customers come to you with, you can empathize with them and appreciate how something that may, might seem very, very small is a huge problem to them. And just being able to kind of articulate ways to approach the product team on why we should fix this now or improve this now. Um, being a, being a, spending some time as a developer can really help with that. Um and yeah, I, I was lucky enough that I just kind of naturally went down that path. Um, you know, DevRel wasn't really a thing when I first started out, but I see a lot of people now and I know somebody who is not working in tech, but wants to get involved and they're like, oh, I want to be in DevRel. I'm like, yeah, it's an awesome space to be in, but you might not enjoy the fast paceness, you know, how fast it is, how, how you context switch a lot of the times. Um so maybe spend some time just in a, in a startup to get used to that and then move on to the next things. But, you know, that's not to say some, you know, it's not a great fit as someone's first job. I think people do tend to succeed more when they've understood the problems of, of, of developers. Would your recommendation be for someone who wants to become a, you know, enter the developer relations industry to work as a developer and in their part-time or their spare time, just test the waters a bit to see a, would yeah. they even enjoy the kind of work it involves? Because I spend a lot of time talking to very talented people and the fear it takes to basically hit publish on an idea yeah. that you have, it's pretty large. It's something that I think you and I have overcome probably foolishly through having been yeah. at the early days of like FTP and they go, you know, have an idea, <laughs> publish, see what happens kind of a world. But I think there's a lot of inertia that prevents someone yeah. from being able to do them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that comes in many different formats as well. 
you know, that could be if you're building something and facing a problem and you think you can help someone, just record a, vi a video. It doesn't matter how cringy it is. It doesn't matter how bad the video is. Just record something and it might help someone. Um, and that, you know, that that's, that's a, 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 an easy way to get and test the waters, I guess, kind of just figure out, is this for me? Um, and, you know, you might not get the, the answer, like the black and white answer, but it just gives you an idea of the types of things you can do because many people just trying to record a video for the first time are going to hit record six or seven times in the first 10 minutes because it's not natural. They don't know how to do that. So it's just something to get, you can try yourself, get, you know, getting into by recording these things. And also if you are someone that just wants to open source something that you're working on, do that as well. Create a project that is open source, trying to get involved with the open source community by contributing your ideas, it might be you're, you're not a great speaker or anything to begin with, um, but that will come. I think if you build something and a lot of people appreciate what you've open sourced, uh, you know, you could go on in years time talking about that and sharing about that and presenting it smaller groups like meetups just to kind of get used to it. Um, that's also a good avenue into DevRel is open source, talk about it at meetups and, you know, let those audiences naturally get bigger. Uh, and I think you would become more confident um, at that. Um, yeah. That sounds great. And so I think this is a great action plan for anybody who wants to go into developer relations. The part that always kind of, you know, makes me pause a bit is there's a lot of people who are doing the exact same thing. How do you stand out? And there's a two-part kind of a question there. How do you stand out in a world where the algorithms that determine what becomes popular or not popular, especially today, you know, I think today, if you want to become a successful developer relations engineer, I think you probably do need to have a social media presence. I think, the, you know, I think a lot of the people I talk about were from an era before then, so they can kind of ride that reputational wave forward. But yeah. if you're starting today, it's an uphill battle. It is, it is. And, you know, you said something earlier, which really resonated with me. And that was not creating content for the algorithms and for social media, but just for you and other people in your shoes. And I think that is, I still think that is a really good way. Like if you can begin to just kind of share content on your own website, I've seen people share these in blogs and snippets and uh, digital gardens, I think they're called, just sharing these ideas. I think building those up over time does help build your brand. Um, but yeah, just spend time in any way, anything that can help you stand out is by building a resource that people can uh, come to you and, and get to get help with. And, you know, don't be afraid to just say, like, I've done this myself and I know many people that have done this to me in the past. And it's why I'm kind of uh, continuing it on is because, oh, they've done something for me. I want to then pass that on to someone else. Um, and that, you know, you wrote a lot of content back in the day that I consumed, then I went on to create content that others consumed. And I think if you can kind of do that, that helps. Um, but certainly to stand out, you need to do something different. Um, and for, for me personally, it's just creating content that I would enjoy or I get help from. And like I say, I don't care about 
the algorithm. I don't write stuff for the algorithm. I tried re- uh, writing some cringy tweets and people would DM me saying, why, what is it? What are you doing? Like, this is weird. Like you're talking, you're speaking differently and it doesn't feel like it's you. You're just, fl- you know, fluffing stuff with buzzwords. Um, yeah. And I stopped and I had, I, I tried a different type of video style, which was kind of just given more of an overview. And I had feedback from people. We, I don't like that. Like I like your content because it was to the point. This is how I do this with this. And that's kind of a style that I, consumed from the rails days uh brian bates of rails casts he did that and i i learned so much doing that where it was like this is what i want to learn and this is how you know this is how to do it the videos were very short um and i think yeah you can stand out in 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 ways just kind of finding your niche and this i think i think today with ai there is a lot of you know ideas that haven't even been thought of. Um, and I have so many ideas for people who want to create content that, you know, people can, you, uh, there's so many ideas that people can have. And I, I have a lot of ideas that I don't have time to do, but I think the position we're in now with AI, there's so much stuff that people can begin to teach uh, and share online and become recognized. We've seen this when web three was kind of taken off uh, and Ethereum got really popular. We've seen people creating content around web three. Um, so, you know, people will be doing that now with AI. And if anyone's watching that wants to get into content creation, find your niche there. You will stand out if you get in early. Um, I did that with GraphQL, um, where I created a few videos so many years ago about GraphQL and I got friendly with people in the GraphQL space and I took some time out. I just was an engineer for a while working with GraphQL. Then I went on to create videos and then I've stopped again and like just, find your niche and i think right now is, is a, an amazing time to try you know to, to, if you want to get involved with content creation and standing out now is now is an amazing time with the ai with ai on the you know everyone wants to, everyone wants to get involved everyone feels like they're missing out get involved and share content absolutely you know the interesting thing always is that let me take us many steps back. You know, let's take like a 20,000 foot overview of everything that we're doing in this case. Develop relations, attention, getting people to focus on what we're doing is almost no different than selling a product that you might be. Let's say you are selling like, you know, a particular, let's say you're selling apples, you know, where, you know, at a place. There's so many factors that go in at determining whether you're going to be successful or not. Price is one. Location is the other. Mm-hmm. What's the distribution? Are you going to be going to a giant, you know, retailer, or are you going to be, you know, outside, like on a, at an amusement park, or basically, a, you know, just anywhere people are going to be? And so much of it is also based on just being at the right place at the right time. There might be a situation where, like, the weather is unseasonably hot, and people want apples, or you manage to bake apple juice, where everyone is making some just apples, and you have your you found your niche there. And so yeah. being part of a, you know being early in a market that is you know, not fully grown yet. Like I always felt like your early GraphQL content was great because GraphQL wasn't as well known at the time, but you loved it, you were talking about it. And then as the GraphQL community grows greatly, you were able to like, you know, be like seen as an influential figure in it. 
if we yeah. go back decades into the old into the flash world it's very much the same case you know you with switch tools and me with flash i had no idea that flash was going to be huge it's going to be the right thing i mean i was in middle school and it's like you know the same age as you like 10 you know 11 years old and so i was like oh i like this it's cool i'm just going to write about it it just so happened thanks to the great work macromedia did and then adobe did afterwards that it took off and we just kind of rode the wave in many ways. So whenever I look back and I go like, what was it that, you know, helped you be, you know, able to do these things? I'm like, I got lucky. You know, say 80% was luck. 20% was that, yes, I was generally passionate about teaching and wanting to help people, but there are a million other people who are also passionate about helping yeah. and, you know, and teaching people, but they picked areas where either crowded market or that entire industry just completely went away. And if I was doing Flash today, I'm in the same category. It's like, yeah, I'm writing about Flash. I love it, but there's no market for it. So it's a little bit of it is like choosing your topic very carefully, I think is a big part of it, especially today when we used to talk about like the world isn't a zero sum game. There are opportunities for everyone to grow and to make all these things happen. For whatever reason though, maybe it's a cynic in me as I'm getting older, the more I look at the industry today, the more I look at what we're doing, I do think we're in a moment where it is a zero sum game where us gaining attention in these areas means that someone or some group of like, like other technologies are losing attention at this point because it's oversaturated. We are 24 yeah. hours in a day. Every second and every moment is being heavily tracked, advertised, monetized by everything we do. The moment I get in the car, I you know I start seeing my in-dash entertainment. I'm like, I'm like, why is this so bad? But I'm like, well, they could see this control to Apple or Google, but for them, those 10, 20 minutes I'm doing my commute is the only time that the car manufacturer gets to basically learn about me and what they're doing. And that is multiplied a million times. And it extends into our developer relations kind of a world as well. Is that, you know, that goes back to the tailwind conversation. Yeah. You know, the biggest arguments aren't really about is tailwind good or not. It's why should I use this instead of that and, and all <laughs> these conversations. And the yeah. answers are very rarely about like, this provides the best developer experience. This gives you the best, you know, ergonomics in terms of like how you can scale your content over the years. And that's a tension I often see. So I think I gave a big rant here, but yeah. I just want to, you know, I get just it. say it out loud. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I agree. Um, I think on the Tailwind thing, who really cares like what, what you use? Um, just get on with it. <laughs> just get, you know, if, if you want to use Tailwind or you want to use style components, CSS modules, if you can get the job done, just use whatever you want. I, I, I see a lot of people who, I, and, and this is great. I, I love experimenting and learning new things, but I see a lot of people who will, um, in startups that I've worked at over the past, jump to the hot, the newest, hottest thing without kind of figuring out, is this even worth, spending the time and investing on. And I think a lot of companies um, can't afford to do that. And certainly as we go forward now, you know, in, in, in the times we're in at the moment, more companies just need to just get on and, and build stuff. And I think having DevRel in companies like that can speak to people, figure out, you know, where is it that, where's their product market fit? Where are people wanting the most out of their product? And being able to kind of relay their feedback back to the management team is great. But the people... You know, on those teams, you're not really making any progress if you just sat kind of arguing about what framework to use. So just just use whatever you feel great. Don't feel as though you need to kind of tweet. And I think a lot of a lot of people get this. Like you can just rant on Twitter about why you should use Tailwind. 
if you don't want to use Tailwind, don't use Tailwind. It, it, you know, the, it doesn't affect anyone else but yourself. Um, and you know, the same can be said for, you know, I like a certain type of food. I'm not, you know, or there's, I have friends who are vegans. They don't sit there and tell me, you know, be a vegan, be a vegan, be a vegan. Like everyone has a choice, right? And it, it doesn't affect anyone else. People make their own decisions and, you know, CSS frameworks are no different. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it, it's a collision of so many things in terms of like the rise of social media, the yeah. disconnectedness we often feel with everyone else, especially from like you know the pandemic and all these things. Where the few things you can hold strongly are your opinions on tech stacks yeah. and favorite fonts and, and yeah. you know what VS Code theme you're using and things like that. And I'm like, great, you know that's what's going to get you engaged in a conversation. That's yeah. probably the best use of your time and. We all participate and watch it, though. So the algorithm trains on it. Like, oh, people <laughs> like some hot tailwind drama this week. Yeah. Let me show it to Krupa and Jamie, you know, over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. And I, I will say, I, I do fall for it sometimes. I do occasionally just doom scroll tailwind content yeah. you know, just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, I think it's great that people are passionate enough. You know, that's the thing not to take away from this. If someone is saying do this, it's great they're passionate. Um, put that passion into your project um, you know so yeah it's funny well Jamie it was great catching up with you and learning a lot about developer relations and of course your you know great journey through all the various decades worth of work in this area yeah thank uh, you and thanks point, I think we should definitely catch up again and talk about forums the death of them or the rise of them and what will it take yes. that's a topic that's very near and dear to me very much clearly I learned right now to this chat to you as well, having not only used them, but also built one as well. So yeah. at some point, we should definitely dive into that one because I think you and I have probably have a lot of opinions and thoughts here. It'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I wish forums would come back in, you know, in their force like they used to be. Um, I'd love to speak to you a lot more. I would recommend that you reach out or speak to Matt Metcham from InVision because he, he is... Um, an amazing person uh, who created something and is very passionate about this. Um, so he will probably have a lot more to say than I do, but, and has built, you know, one of the biggest ones, biggest forum softwares, but he's a really cool guy. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it as well. Maybe the three of us talk about it. <laughs> I think that's exactly what I was about to say. I think the three of us can talk about this. Yeah. And I think it'd be a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, no, it's Jamie, been great to catch you up. Thank you very much. All right. I'll see you we'll next talk time. To you a bit then. Bye.